Sometimes it feels like you get them excited and I put them to sleep. I'm just kind of wondering how, why I get that into the stick. I don't quite understand it. I feel like I renegotiate the uh, nature of our relationship here. Thank you, Greg, and those that serve with him and uh, lead us in preparing our hearts to come to God's word together. I hope that you have a copy of God's word, something that you can open up, something that you can turn on, and I want to invite you to join me in 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, we have been walking through, we walked through 1 Peter together as a church several months ago, and then over the last few weeks, we have been walking again, or walking now through the letter of 2 Peter as a church, and together as a church congregation, it is just our habit and our regular diet on Sunday mornings is just to walk through the text uh, verse by verse, and so wherever we left off last week is where we're going to begin this week, and so you'll know that if you come back next week, you'll know where we're going to be at because it's where we left off today, and the idea behind that is we want to systematically not only study God's Word, but understand God's Word and let God's Word speak into our hearts every single time we are together. So 2 Peter chapter 3, for some of you, maybe this is your first time, I welcome you here. Some of you, you're here because of the uh, events later on today. We are so glad that you are here. And so for some of you that had not been here for the last several weeks, I just want to catch you up on where we're at. 2 Peter is a book that Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ, is writing to what would be considered the early day church. They were a church that was primarily located in what is modern day Turkey. They were a church that was mostly compiled of Gentiles believers, those who had come to faith in Christ after the crucifixion, after the death, the burial, and the resurrection. So they were an early group of people. They were not brought up in the Jewish traditions. They were not brought up in all of the rich traditional teachings that you would find in the temple or in the synagogue. So you have a lot of, as we would consider, new Christians, baby Christians. And they had come to faith in Jesus Christ. They had placed their hope in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so now they are trying to live out this Christian faith. They're trying to live out this Christian belief in light of and in spite of all of the tumultuous times around them. There was idolatry and pagan worship, heresies, competing false teachers, struggles, persecutions from the government, hindrances amongst themselves. And there were all of these dynamics that were pressing in upon them. And they here as an early church is wondering, how is it that we live faithfully, both individually and corporately? How it is that we live faithfully in the days in which we live? So Peter is writing to them to address the question, how do you now live? So in first, or first Peter, we saw him giving them instructions and encouragement. The same way when you come to Second Peter, you find three chapters in Second Peter. They're broken up in three different divisions. The first chapter, Peter primarily reminds them and points them back to their identity in Christ. Then you get into chapter two, and he reminds them of the danger that's around them. He wants to be them to be aware of all the things that are going on that they need to be on guard against. And then you get into chapter three, which is where we are at this morning, and he is going to bring them hope. He wants to leave them with a hopeful idea of now they are not left alone. Even though Peter may not be there physically and even though Peter may die and he may go on to heaven, as that church continues to grow and continue to be faithful, he wants to remind them that there, there is something to be hopeful in every single 
day. So last week, we were in verses 1 through verse 7, and we were looking at the hope that Peter is reminding them about the word of God. And this morning, as we get in here to verse 8 of 2 Peter chapter 3, we are going to see, hopefully you see with me, that he's going to say that there's a great amount of hope that you can have when it comes to God's timing. I don't know about you, but when I was younger and I was being taught how to tell time, that was before really you had all the digital clocks that were out there. And so you had a a watch face, if you will. And on that watch face, you had one all the way down through 12. And so as my mother would sit there and try to explain to me how to tell time and how to know which time it was, you had two primary hands on the clock. I realize that now we have the second time, but back in the day, you had two primary hands. You had the hour hand, And that was usually the shorter one, and obviously it was the slower one. And then you had the minute hand. It was usually the longer one, and it was the one that moved faster. And so by knowing where the orientation of those two hands on the clock, you could cipher which time it was. And it was one of those things that you could tell the time that you were living in at that moment by looking at the hands on the clock. The clock, And so this morning, as we look at God's word together and starting in verse eight, I want you to think about these, this passage we're gonna look at this morning, we're gonna break it up in in two, I put there in your notes on the back of that bulletin, if you picked one up, we're gonna talk about two hands of time. I want you to think with me, if you would, think about the hour hand as being God's timing and think about the minute hand as being our opportunity. We start looking around this day in which we're living in and we're like, what's going on? Is it going to get better? Is it going to get worse? Can it get worse? It can. But it's good for us as Christians. And even if you are here this morning and you're not a Christian, I hope that you will hear the timing of God in his word. So I want you to start with me in chapter three and verse one here in 2 Peter. I'm gonna read aloud if you will follow along in your copy of God's word. And let's look at this first hand of time that Peter points them to here in the text. It's a continuation of verse seven. So he just got through talking to them about their hope that they have in God's word. And so then he finished in verse seven talking about this judgment, talking about this time that God has assured us in his word that this time of judgment, this time of reckoning, this kind of time when God comes and says, okay, enough with the silliness, enough with playing the dumb games. Now it is time for people to give an account for their lives. But the question was, well, when is this gonna be? We want a date. We want a time. We want something we can put on the calendar. So Peter comes in in verse 8 and says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Peter wants to remind them and wants to point them to the reality that when it comes to the hands of times, there is God's timing. There is not man's timing in the spiritual sense. There is not someone else's timing. There is only one timing that is ruling this world, and that is God's timing. So he wants to remind them as they are followers of Jesus Christ, and as they are believers by faith in God and the work of his son on the cross, when they think about it and they think about the days in which they're living in, remember and recognize that we are all part of God's timing. And so there was a whole group of people that were sitting there going, when, Peter, when is this going to happen? What is going to take place, Peter? 
You go to First and Second Thessalonians, and one of the main themes through that book is they are assuming that Christ is going to come back next week. So there was a whole group of them said, well, if he's coming back next week, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to stop paying my bills. I'm just going to go home, and I'm just going to wait. So Paul is writing to him and saying, no, 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 no. No one has ever said it is going to happen next week. So you need to be faithful to the Lord until then. I've shared with you before that back in 1988, there was a man. He released a book, 88 Reasons Why the Lord is Going to Come Back in 88. I was seven years old at that time. I caught wind that Jesus was coming back in 88 and I thought I better get ready. And so I even packed a bag ready guess what? <laughs> he didn't come back. So what Peter's wanted to remind them, and Peter's wanted to say that when it comes to the timing of God, remember this fact, beloved. He says that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years and the thousand years is one day. What is Peter saying? Peter is reminding them that God is timeless. Now that's a hard concept for you and I to put our mind around the fact that there is somebody, there is a God that is outside of time. Everything that we know is ruled by 60 seconds in a minute, 60 minutes in an hour, 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week, 52 weeks in a year, 365 days in a year. All of that is confined with this idea of time. But Peter puts it there in verse eight and says, as with the Lord, a thousand years is a day and a day is a a thousand years as if God doesn't count time the way that you and I count time. And I think if we were to all be honest in this room right now, we have really no way to conceptualize a thousand years. In fact, I went to this last week, I went to look for maybe some historical, uh, some, some historical markers that happened a thousand years ago. So I went and I got there on the computer and I typed in 1922. And then I thought to myself, that's 100 years. So then I typed in 1822. And then I thought to myself, math was never my strong suit. So I thought, no, no, that's, that's only 200 years ago. Imagine, think back with me, when you try to do a Google search or an internet search for headline stories from 1022. Not a lot of information there. You think that's almost 400 years before Christopher Columbus came and depending on the history books, discovered America. You're talking about something that you and I can't even fathom what it is like to think about a thousand years put together. The average lifespan in this room is gonna be somewhere between, uh, I think it's 74 to 84 years. If that's the average lifespan of the person. And that is how we think of it. Some select people are lucky enough to live into their hundreds, but when we think about it, we are thinking about it in the span of time that we know. Peter says, understand that when it comes to God, God doesn't mark time the way that we mark time. God doesn't count time the way that we count time. God is outside of time. And so he says, remember that when it comes to the timing, God is not working on your calendar. God is not working off of your watch. But then he explains to them the difference. He explains to them why? He says there in verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. So in case you think that he hasn't gotten, or if you think, in case you think that he is not able, or in case you think that he is just sitting there saying, I don't know what to do, I don't have any plans. He says, understand that this is why God works on his own timing. He says in verse 9, because he is what? He's patient. He's patient. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his prophets, some kind of slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish. He wants to make the point into their ears, and I want you to hear it into your ears, 
that God's patience has a purpose. God's patience has a purpose. You see, so many times, I don't know about you, but I'm just going to speak from my life this morning. So many times, the activities, the obligations, the responsibilities, all the things that are on the calendar. Boy, your calendar can just get stacked with all sorts of things. And all of those activities then create a pace of life. And I've shared with several of you before that I have figured out how to speed up. I'm just struggling right now to figure out how to slow down. And it's all these activities that I think that are responding, all these activities that I think I got to take care of, all these activities that I'm engaged in, go, go, go. And then all of a sudden, it creates a pace in life, and it's a fever pace, if you will. And then what I find so far in the life that I've lived, that that pace then conflicts with peace. And the imageries of the Rockwell paintings, with the family on the back porch, on the front porch, enjoying the evening, without looking down at a screen, without watching a television on the wall, without being involved with all of the drama and all of the hustle and bustle around them, they are just simply sitting there enjoying their time with the family. That peace that we all desire to lean, to, to, to lean in on and to be a part of, and we do not understand that the peace is usually in direct conflict with the pace, and the pace is usually the responsibility or the uh, result of the activity. So he says, understand that when it comes to this timelessness of God and when it comes to the patience of God, all of these things that God is doing has a purpose. He says there in verse 9, he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Peter says, the reason why God, the reason why God is operating on his timing is there are some of us knuckleheads that need to get our mind right before God, before God, before it's too late. Some of us in this room, God has already told you what he wants to do. You just have to be willing this morning to be obedient and do it. So he says God is being patient. God is being patient because he wants for all people to come to a saving knowledge of him. He is patient because he is wishing that all people would turn to him before it's too late. He is patient with you because he wants you to understand how much he loves you. He is patient with you because he realizes that even in your sin and even in your rebellion and even in your hard heartness that God says, I still love you so much that I sent my son to die for you. He realizes you're going to go see through seasons of distance. He realizes you're going to go through seasons of dryness. He realizes you're going goes through seasons where you feel closer or far away from God and he says I am going to be patient because you never know what God might be doing I'm so grateful that God was patient with me and I'm so grateful that God is being patient with me and I'm so grateful that he's patient with you so he says in verse 9, he says, God has a purpose. The timing of God. The timing of God is perfect. The timing of God has a purpose. But then he goes on in verse 10. He says, but, but, do not miss it. The time will come. What are you talking about, preacher? The time will come. He says in verse 10, but the day of the Lord, talking about this time of judgment, this time that is coming, when this world will cease, when your time will be up, your opportunity to turn to him, to live for him, to follow him, in obedience, this time will be done. He says in verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. 
Peter wants to remind them that this whole thing is set on God's timing. God has a purpose for his time, but this time will come. Sometimes people think that it's out of vogue, it's out of fad, it's not popular to preach on hell and not to be one of those spitting, stomping, snorting, hellfire and brimstone preachers. And then some people say, well, you know, that's what we need. We need some more hellfire and brimstone preaching. That's what we need. Why don't we just do biblical, faithful teaching? Why don't we just remind people that they have a finite amount of time. They don't know how much time they have. Every single one of us do not know for sure how much time we have, but we all know we have a finite amount of time, and we all know that the Bible has promised that God has said, Jesus, Jesus echoed it and even modeled it, that there will be a time that will come. It'll be unexpected and it will be unassumed, but this time will come when we will stand before God and we will give an account for our lives. But unfortunately, what many of us do is we start to try to counter it and say, well, I just need more time. And I wonder how many people will one day stand before God and they will look at God and say, well, if you just give me another hour, if you just give me another day, if you just give me another few precious seconds, if you will just give me more time. But Peter is reminding the early church and he's reminding you and I this morning that there is a time that is coming. Yes, God is being patient today. Yes, God is being patient for a reason today. God is being patient with a purpose today. But do not assume that God's timing will take delay any longer than today. Because God's time will Sometimes we try to compensate for that in our daily lives and we think, well, I just need a little bit more time. In 1967, there was a man by the name of Charles Hummel and he wrote a little pamphlet called The Tyranny of the Urgent. I have lifted the introduction out of this book and I will read it for you because it just kind of frames what you and I think about time and how we address time. Charles writes, have you ever wished for a 30-hour day? Surely this extra time would relieve the tremendous pressure under which we live. Our lives leave a trail of unfinished tasks, unfinished or unanswered letters, unvisited friends, unwritten articles, and unread books haunt quiet moments when we stop to evaluate. We desperately need relief. But what would a 30-hour day, but would a 30-hour day really solve the problem? Wouldn't we soon just be frustrated as we are now with our 24-hour allotment? A mother's work is never finished, and neither is any or neither is that of any student, teacher, minister, or anyone else we know. Nor will the passage of time help us catch up. Children grow in number and age and require more of our time. Greater experience and profession in church brings more exacting assignments. So we find ourselves working more and more and enjoying it less and less. Sometimes we get so captivated by man's view of time and by our view of time that we forget God's view of time. And I realize there's things to be done around the house. I realize there's things to be done at work. I realize there's things to be done in the church. I realize there's things to be do, done in the responsibilities of your life. But when we neglect and we miss our relationship and our fellowship and our place before God, then we are living on man's timing and not on God's timing. And Peter is writing to remind them when it comes to being ready, when it comes to noticing the time, make sure that you are always on time for God. So he talks about the hour hand, but then he goes on in verse 11 and he's gonna talk about the minute hand. He's gonna talk about our opportunity. So he says, remember, this is God's timing. This is God's plan. This is what God is doing. And then he talks about, so then what are we 
going to do. He says in verse 11, he says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved. So he says, because, because God is going to come down and everything that we know on this earth, it is going to go away. It's going to be burned up in fire. It is going to be wiped away because it is corrupted and it is affected and compromised by the effect of sin in the world. So he says, because this is all going to be gone, your big house, your fancy possessions, your fancy phone, your $10,000 computer, the pieces of paper framed up on the wall that you spent so much of your life trying to get, the pictures of all the vacations that you've taken, the dreams that you have had, one day all of these things will be gone. So Peter says, we spend so much of our time chasing after things that are not eternal. So he says, so in light of knowing what is coming, what does he say in verse 11? What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Peter says, there's a choice. There's a choice that you can make. Every day is a choice. He says, what are you gonna do? So you have to make the decision. Because you are the possessor, because you have the knowledge of the truth, and even by the fact that you are here this morning and I have told you, this world is coming to an end. Every single person, regardless of your age, every single person, regardless of your gender, every person, regardless of your knowledge or your maturity, every single one of us will stand before God one day. And because we know that this time is coming, now we have a choice. And the choice is this, either we can pursue God in holiness and we can pursue God in godliness or we can say no. Think of it like this. Every time the batter walks up into the batter's box in the baseball game, that batter really has two choices. Either that person can try to hit the ball or that person can just watch the ball go by. And you know what, sometimes in life, you and I just have two simple choices. Either I am gonna live for God today or I'm gonna live for myself. Either I'm gonna live for the, the world that is yet to come, the kingdom of God, or I am gonna live for this world here. And so he says in verse 11, so because you know what's coming and because you know what God is doing, the question is, is what sort of people should you be? Oh, you hear a lot of people that will come into the church and say, well, preacher, I know I shouldn't be doing that. Preacher, I know I should let go of that. Preacher, I know that that shouldn't be what I'm doing, but you know, and they start making all these excuses and they start coming to all these justifications. I'm gonna tell you that God will tell you. You ask the Holy Spirit, you say, God, show me. God will show you what you should do. The question is, are you gonna do it? Well, Spence, why don't you just give me a quick bullet point of what I should do? I'm gonna tell you what you should do according to God's word. You should read God's word. You should know God's word. You should understand God's word and you should apply God's word. You wanna know, I'm not really sure what God's will is for my life. I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do tomorrow. I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do with this decision. I'm gonna tell you, if you read God's word, you know God's word, you understand God's word and you apply God's word, a lot of those questions will fall into line. So you wanna know, well, what am I supposed to do? How should I live? It's right here, brothers and sisters. It's right here. You're not gonna find it on Facebook. 
you're not gonna find it in your little group of girlfriends or boyfriends, your little homies that you get together with. You're not gonna find some of that humanistic, theistic, theistic garbage that you find in the self-help section of the bookstore. You're not gonna find it in a pill. You're not gonna find it in many of our, many of our attempts today. You're gonna find it in God's word. So Peter says, so what are you gonna do? That's the question we come to every single morning. We come to the end of our time every single morning and the question is then on the table. How are you going to respond? Some of you, some of you might think, well, you know what? I just don't respond to the invitation. Every single Sunday morning, I give an invitation. Every single Sunday morning, I say if the Holy Spirit has spoken to you and you need to make a decision for Jesus, it might be joining this church, it might be being saved, it might be moving your life around so you can get right and step where God wants you to be. It might be coming and submitting in obedience to baptism, whatever. It may be surrendering to full-time ministry. It may be surrendering to missions. It may be something else that God has put in your heart. But when I extend that invitation and we stand and we sing with Greg the song that he has selected and we have that time of invitation, some of you, some of you think, well, you know what? I'm not going to respond. And yet every single one of us in this room responds. Some of us responds by putting our hands in our pockets. Some of us respond by just gripping a hold of that chair. Some of us respond by just tuning out and saying, I'm just not going to listen to him. I'm just going to wait him out. Three stanzas in a chorus, we're out of here. I can outlast that. Some of you rationalize it in a thousand different ways, but the reality is and the truth is that every single morning when you and I come and we gather around God's word, we respond to God's word. So I'm just going to give you a heads up and I'm just going to give you a warning. When we get done here in about an hour and a half, the choice will be yours. The choice will be, what are you going to choose? We're not eating till one, so i got a while. But the question that Peter says is, okay, because you know what God is doing, because you know what Jesus has done, because you know what God's word says, what are you going to do? It's not a matter of what you should do because you know what you should do. The question is, what are you going to do? We have an opportunity. We have a choice to make. So he says, I'm continuing on there in verse 11. Waiting for and hastening in the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. He says, what are you going to do? What should you be doing? What will you do so that you are ready for when this time comes, you are ready. But there in your notes that readiness, that readiness requires vigilance. In my, my experience, and it's pretty limited at best, but it takes more effort and more discipline to stay ready than get ready. You know, a lot of times when something's coming on and boy, you get geared up and you're excited and something's getting ready to happen and you're just ready and you're prepared and then all of a sudden things delay and things keep going and all of a sudden you start getting bored and you start wondering, is it gonna happen? And then you start losing your edge. You start losing your level of discipline. And it's the idea of constantly being ready because you never know when Christ is coming back. You never know when the end is going to come. You never know when God is gonna look at his son, Jesus Christ, who's sitting on the right hand of him and he's gonna look at his son and he's gonna say, son, it's time. Go get him. And Christ is gonna stand up and he's gonna come down, 1 Thessalonians chapter four, he's gonna come down and the archangel will shout, and the trumpet will sound. And Christ will appear in the clouds. 
And my conviction when it comes to the word of God, especially the end times, the church will be caught up together with Christ in the air. That time is coming. And we have no idea when that time is coming, but we have the opportunity today to be ready for when that time comes. So Peter says, are you going to be ready? Are you going to be ready for when he comes back? Because readiness requires vigilance. Readiness requires you and I to understand we have no idea. It could be today. It could be this afternoon. It could be tonight. We don't know, but we want to know that when it comes, we are ready. It reminds reminds me, you write this down in the margin of your notes. It reminds me of Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells a parable of the 10 virgins. They're gathering together for the wedding ceremony and for the wedding feast. And as these 10 virgins gather together, it says that five of them did not bring oil for the lamps. The other five did. And so as the bridegroom continued to tarry his coming, and as he didn't show up for hours and hours and hours, they fell asleep and the oil and their lamps began to grow dim. And all of a sudden he showed up. The, the 10 virgins got up and they wiped the sleepy out of their eyes and they went to try to trim their lamps or to get their lamps bright so they could go in and be part of that celebration. Five of them didn't have the oil because five of them weren't ready and vigilant for the coming of the groom. Five of them were. And it says there in Matthew chapter 25 that the five that were ready for when the groom appeared, they were the ones that went in to the marriage feast. And it says in verse 10 of chapter 25 in Matthew, it says, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. So therefore, Jesus puts the application to it. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Peter wants to remind them that you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to be ready. You have an opportunity to be ready for when Christ comes. You have an opportunity to be vigilant and to be ready whenever that time might be. But then he gets there in verse 13 and he leaves him with another piece of hope. He says, but according to his promise, who's his? His is Jesus Christ. According to the promise of Christ, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. He tells him, you wanna know what you're waiting for? You're waiting for eternity with God. You want to know what you're waiting for? You're waiting for the moment that will come when this world will pass away and you will spend the rest of your eternity in your glorified body in that perfect union with God forever and ever and ever and ever for a thousand years and a thousand years and a thousand years and a thousand years. And what Peter is telling them this morning and what Peter is wanting to encourage them with and leave them with when it comes to the hope, he wants to remind them that it will be worth the wait. It will be worth The wait. October 2004. I got down on my knee and I proposed to Jaylene. It's the same spot that we had been at for our first date. And so here it is, October, nervous and scared. And I get down on my knee and I propose. And to my gratitude, she said yes. I don't know about you men in the room, but I'm just going to tell you, when she said yes, I thought that meant yes right now. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, well, tomorrow when the sun comes up, let's go get married. And some of you mamas get in the way of this, and I'm just going to tell you, she looked at me, and she said, oh, no, we can't do that right now. we got a plan for the wedding. And I said, what is there to plan? You, me, preacher, family, it's planned. 
oh no, we gotta do all this preparation and we gotta do all this decoration and we gotta do all these invitations and we gotta do all of this stuff that in reality, especially for young people that haven't been married, I'm just gonna tell you, a lot of it's just drama to test you if you really wanna get married. <laughs> I'm just telling you, Logan can confirm. <laughs> It's just one of those things. That, and so I'm thinking, okay, so here it is October. Okay, so maybe a week, maybe two weeks. Then my, then my sweet, sweet mother-in-law, the, the soonest I could get was March the 12th of 2005. And I'm gonna tell you, that was a very long, refining, purifying time of six months. But you know what? When it came to that time and we're sitting at the front of the church and I had Tucker and my brother's beside me and the music starts and the doors open and there is my bride with my father-in-law and they come down. I remember thinking to myself, it has been worth the wait. And brothers and sisters, I want you to hear from me this morning that there may be times of difficulty and there may be times of struggle. There may be times when you don't feel like it. There's maybe times when you question or you doubt it. There may be times when you don't understand it and there may be times that you get mad or you struggle with trying to grasp and get your mind around it. But the Bible tells us that when that time comes and that you and I are standing face and face with our Savior, it'll be worth it. It will be worth it. It'll be worth the things you didn't do. It'll be worth the things that you didn't watch. It'll be worth the places that you didn't go. It'll be worth the sacrifices that you gave in faithfulness and obedience to God. It'll be worth all the things that other people were doing that you said, I wish I could do that. It'll be worth it. It'll be worth all the Sunday mornings. It'll be worth all the Sunday nights. It'll be worth all the Wednesday nights. It'll be worth all the nights you spend on those little hard mattresses at camp. It'll be worth the time that you spend in your Bible. It'll be worth all of the awkward conversations. It will be worth it. Peter says, but according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. He says, that is what we are living for. That is what we are hoping for. And brothers and sisters, church, it will be worth the wait. I realize for a few and I right now, we're like, whoa, is it going to be? You know what? If you're going to trust in God's word that he can save you, then at least you can trust in God's word that it'll be worth saving you. <laughs> he says it's going to be worth the wait. So then what's the good news? I just got a few minutes. Let me, let me, let me race to the good news. You see there at the bottom of the notes, just some good news for us this morning. The first piece of good news that I want to leave you with this morning is that you don't know the time. You don't know the time. Time. And you may say, well, how is that good news, Spence? Because you know, if you're anything like me, what's going to happen? If God told you that he's going to come back July the 15th of 2024, you know what I would do? <laughs> I got to July the 14th. <laughs> and I got all this time to do whatever I want, however I want, wherever I want, whenever I want. And I want to do all these things because I know if he's coming back on July the 15th of 2024, I know that I've got time to do whatever knuckleheaded stuff I want to do. But what God has done is said, you don't know the time, so therefore live faithful and obedient to me. Well, why is that good news? Because there's all kinds of people around you that don't know Jesus and they're looking to you for your model, your example, and your testimony, your life. And if you were to live like the rest of the heathens all the way up until the day beforehand, then how would people know what it looks like to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ? So the good news is you don't know the time. 
Well, I want to know the time. It's not about you. (laughs) I want to know when. You know the how. Let him handle the when. The second piece of good news I want to leave you with this morning is that you don't set the time. You don't set the time. What are you talking about the time? I'm talking about the time when Jesus is coming back. I'm talking about you don't know that time and you don't set that time. Why is that good news, Spence? Because if you and I set the time, there would be a lot of people that wouldn't make it. If you'd gone back to my life 15 years ago, I wouldn't have made it. 15 years ago, somebody may have wrote me off as somebody that had all the opportunities and all the opportunities to make the good decisions and the right decisions and squandered them. But God was patient and God was merciful and God was grateful. And I'm so glad that I don't set the time. Some of you in this room, God pursued you for a long time before you finally said yes. And if we had set the time or this wasp flying around the room had set the time, you might have gotten to the point that you might say, well, you know what? That person's not gonna change. That person's not gonna do anything. That person's not going anywhere. And you would just write them off and say, ha, just let them go. All right, let's move on. And you have no idea what God may be doing in their lives. It is such good news that you do not set the time. Because you and I have no idea what other men and women, what other boys and girls in this community or even in this church that God is still working on, that you never know what's going to happen in five years or five months or 10 years or 10 months. You never know how God is going to work. You never know how God is going to move. And if you and I start to set the time that we start leaving people out that God desires to be in, we quit on people before God quits on people. But then this last one, and I hope you'll hear me. God is giving you time to turn to him. Preacher, I'm saved. And preacher, I'm here. Preacher, I don't need to turn to him. Every single one of us in this room needs to turn to him daily. Every single one of us in this room needs to yield to him daily. Every single one of us in this room has room to grow in our faith. And every single one of us in this room, God has given the opportunity to turn to him. That is beautiful news in my ears. I hope that it is news that you will understand and that you will see. And I hope this morning as we come to 2 Peter chapter 3 that you will recognize and you will understand that by the fact, very fact that you have breath and the very fact that you have life and the very fact that you are here this morning means God is giving you more time to turn to him. So it might mean salvation. It might mean that you come to the end of yourself and you recognize I am a sinner and that sin carries the punishment of death. And I realize that I need to be forgiven of my sins. This heaven thing that Spence is talking about, this judgment thing that Spence is talking about, what does that mean? And this morning you need to say, I I need to be saved. Maybe that's you this morning. And God has given you time to turn to him in that way. Maybe you're here this morning and you may say, well, Spence, I know that I've been saved, but the reality is, is that I'm not living like I'm saved and I'm not acting like I'm saved and I haven't been doing that for a while. And maybe this morning you just need to say, here I am, God. All the things that aren't of you, get rid of and all the things that need to be in you, put in. I turn. Maybe there's something else that God has been working on your life about. 
Something else that God has been working on you with. A decision, a choice, a pursuit, a priority, an action, an attitude. What may it be that God is giving you time to turn to him and say, God, you're in charge. I'm going to obey and follow you. What is it this morning that you need to turn and give to God? Would you bow your heads with me?